Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. you to think hard, all right? When was the last time, online, ready? When was the last time you were so frustrated with somebody that the phrase, this phrase came out of your mouth and you said, you just don't get it. I want you to think about it. You just don't kill me. I was like, that was quick. I was like, you just don't get it. Think about it. When was the last time? First off, if you're married, oh, that should happen daily. Oh, you don't get it. You just don't get it. If you have kids, that should happen every five minutes. You know, you don't get it how many times. And you know you're old when you start saying, oh, you, when I was a kid, <laughs> right? You, pre- you always got to bracket that when I was young. You just don't get how good you have it. You don't get it. Listen, that you, you don't get it when, when, when I was your age. Someone could not be on the phone. If you wanted to be on the internet, somebody couldn't be on the phone at the same time. See, oh, some of you didn't get that because you don't even you weren't there. You don't know what that's like because someone. I was like, wait, what? What do you mean someone can't be on the? You know, aren't they on their cell phones? I was like, no, you had to be on a landline. What's well, a landline, right? And so I was like, no, you see, I'm telling you, unless you were there. I mean, unless you were there. I mean, this morning, what was the conversation we were having this morning? We were talking about something. Oh, my gosh. So we were talking about volunteer jobs and what to do in the church. And I was telling you, you know what my first volunteer job was in this, in this church? Because I'm born and raised here. My job was to be the person doing the, the, the laminate lyrics for the singing. You remember? Anyone remember projectors? Where not projectors like these, no, the ones with the light bulb, and you put a transparent, the transparencies, you had to put a transparency on top. The light would shine through the letters, and it would reflect through something else and shine. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. And so my job was, I was the original pro presenter. I was on there with the lyrics, moving them up and down, switching them for the next. I was original to that. That was me. I, and, and then I created the scrolling method. That was me. I, do, I used to do that. And I'm trying to explain this to my kids, and they're just like, huh? I'm like, I don't know, you don't get it, you don't get it. Listen, I know, it, it, it's, it's hard to sometimes express, like, an experience, right? All right? It's, sometimes it's hard. You probably have gone through something, and I'm sure you've been frustrated when you're like, oh, I'm trying to help. It's like, I, I'm failing right now and explaining to you, you just don't get it, man. I wish you could. You just don't get it. And we all, to get emotional, hopefully, you know, yep, I'm, I'm already going there. I'm sure we have, uh, oh, this, oh my gosh, friends, family, politics. Oh, why does he vote that way? Oh, he just, why, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what that party represents and what they do. Notice I, I didn't say which one, right? And so, huh, tell mom, does that, here, really quick, if you want to say something, tell her really quick. Tell her, tell her. So, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, you just don't get it. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And we all have kids. We maybe parenting is where it can get emotional. Maybe we have friends and family that they're making decisions that are just self-destructive or they're, it's, it's problematic and you just wish you could shake them, right? 
come off the top turnbuckle, give him an elbow right in between the eyes, and if that, just so they can get it. You ever been there? What was he going to say? Fine, thank you. I'll give it to you. So, kids, it works the same way. Sometimes kids come to the parents, and the parents are like, you, you know, they're the kids. You know the feeling. Mom, you just don't get it. I love him. Right? And so that's another one. You don't get it. Or that one, right? Because my kids all the time, hey, go take out the dog. I'm on, on, I can't pause this game. What do you mean you can't pause a video game? There's a button called pause. I remember it. It said pause on the game. No, it's online. You know, you just can't pause an online game. Then don't play it. And so whatever. And so <laughs> that's annoying, right? Oh, we just don't get it. You don't get it. So we're all there. We get it. We get that. But we're going to read a letter. Good one, Saya. We're going to read a letter today. One of my favorite books, and it's a letter from Paul, and it's a whole letter of Paul pretty much telling this church, you don't get it. And I never saw that. And it's to the letter to the Ephesian church. Anybody ever read Ephesians? Is one of your, that's, a, that's a top book. A top book, book of Ephesians. And the whole letter is written in the context, you don't get it. And it was not an angry one. It was an excited, frustrated one. Because, see, the Ephesians did not understand what they had, who they were. They didn't get it. And so he wanted, he wanted them to learn this lesson. So almost very much the Ephesians, just like us, all right, we reflect uh, what happened to this guy, William Randolph Hearst. You probably never heard of that guy's name before. William Randolph Hearst. You have. Some people have. So this guy, I had money, and he had his hobby of wanting to collect famous and expensive pieces of art from all around the world. It's what he liked to do. It was his, his thing. And so he goes and commissions his top guy and says, hey, I came across this piece of work. Oh, I got to have it. I got to have it. So he sent him off to go find it. And this guy's searching all around the world, hunting it down, looking, looking, months go by. And then he finally comes back and he goes, Mr. Hertz, all right, I got some good news for you. And he's like, all right, well, should be good news because I don't see that painting. Well, no, it is good news. We found it. Oh, great. Where is it? It's in your warehouse, sir. And apparently, like, he had so much pieces. He was so rich and had so many pieces of works of art. He forgot what he even owned. He didn't even know he owned it already. Does that make sense? If he would have just before saying, if he would have just looked at his inventory, oh, I got that, you know, I already have that. If he would have looked at his inventory, he would have saved himself money and time and bought something else. His other guy would have done that. But Mr. Hertz did not realize what he had. Because he just, he just didn't. The Ephesian church had so much, but they did not realize what they had. And Paul, almost like Mr. Hertz's friend, would, is coming to them and helping them to understand this is what you already have in your possession because of your faith in Christ. And with that, Paul writes in the book of Ephesians two prayers. And it's the same prayer remix, and it's bracketed. And so we're going to look at that because that's ultimately the goal. See, this church, and you're going to see this theme when you read the book of Ephesians, especially at the beginning, first three chapters, you see this word rich over and over again. We are, give, we are rich in, the, in all of the blessings in Christ Jesus. 
And so why does he use this word rich? Because this Ephesian church was poor spiritually. The reason why they were poor spiritually is because they had a poor perspective of Christ, and they have a, which led to a poor perspective of themselves in Christ, and it led them to a poor practice. And so they're operating out of a poverty mentality, not financial, but spiritual. In fact, the Ephesians, this kind of got me, and I never saw this, the Ephesians during this time, especially here um, in this town. By the way, Ephesus was a rich town, very rich town. And in fact, it had one of the great ancient wonders of the world. The temple of Artemis was there, very rich. And so here they are, and there was a lot of even occultic practices where they would use and, and want to dominate and act with spiritual powers. Paul talks a lot about power here. Why? Because, see, this church was a frustrated church because they could not walk in the power that God had given them. Because they thought it was something that they can just wield like a Harry Potter wand. All right? And it wasn't working. And so they, could, they didn't have enough power to overcome the flesh. They didn't have enough power to overcome sin. They didn't have enough power to overcome the poor thinking. And their, Why? Because they were operating it under themselves. And we are too weak. And so that's what Paul wanted them to stand. Oh, you guys are walking around like you're poor. But, oh, if you could only get it, what, who Jesus really is and what he's done. That is the goal for today. All right? Because that's for us. There's not one of us here, including me, that fully gets it. So hang in there today. Because today's going to be a little philosophical, but in a good way. That's going to be good. All right, so let's run it. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. That's where we're going to start. The, like I said, Paul's writing this from um, prison, by the way. So this is one of his prison letters. And so that he is uh, falsely accused for spreading the gospel. So that's always a good context. Because here's Paul. Poor right now. Like Paul is in shackles. He has nothing. Yet Paul is able to operate in a different way because he knows that his, that his identity is not in the external, but it's in the internal. So he writes in first, uh, chapter 115, he kind of sets it up. If you read, by the way, Ephesians, my verses 3 through 14 have a header that says God's rich blessings. So if you have your Bible, look at what that header says. God's rich blessings. By the way, that from chapter, I don't know exactly where it is, but from verse 3 to 14, Paul sets a personal record here. Now this is, you won't see it because it's written in English. And so, and chapter and verse came literally, guys, over a thousand years after these were ever written. And so chapters and verse came around the Reformation time, 1500 years. So there was no breaking up the way that we read it today. It's good for reference point. But Paul sets a personal record with the longest sentence he's ever penned. And the longest sentence that Paul's ever penned is this chunk that leads right before 15. And it, you know how many words are in it? 203 Greek words. Just do the math. He wrote a grammatically correct, art, he weaved like with the tapestry, 203 words in one sentence, and it is perfect in its ancient Greek. 
Now, what is he trying to explain that he just can't stop to put a period? He's explaining what Christ has done, what he's done for us, the love that he's lavished on us, and his redemption, and this glorious grace that we've known, the mystery of his will, his plan at the right time, so that, that already we have this hope in Christ to praise, and that we've been given the spiritual Holy Spirit, this inheritance and redemption. He can't just stop. And then finally, he, he takes a breath. And what is the next thing that Paul says after this record-breaking, just, I mean, fire hose of information? His prayer. Oh, and then he prays this in 15. This is why, what? About everything he's saying previously, which I, I challenge you to read it. This is why, who Jesus is, what he's done. This is why, since I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints, which I love that Paul did not make a mistake. Notice what came first, faith before love. It is the faith that is in Christ that produces a love like Christ. Faith always produces that. It's the faith in the love of God that produces that love in us. So he says, oh, since I have, I have heard of your faith and I have heard of your love, I never stop, verse 16, giving thanks for you. As I remember you in my prayers. Paul must have prayed a lot if he's remembering a lot of people, by the way. Think about that. Verse 17, I pray this. Here's the prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, before we keep on going, I'm a musician at heart, and I love this. We're about to read two prayers. The, and both prayers have three petitions each. And the first, the three petitions that we're going to read right now, the smallest petition, the first petition is the less worded. And then the next one is more words. And then the biggest, the last petition has the most words. And so it's like a crescendo. And it's like he's going from quiet to small to big. And he's now like, that's, musically we all do that. The band did that today multiple times. Where they were going from quiet and then we go loud. That's a crescendo. So I want you to feel the crescendo as I read his prayer, right? Feel it as we go up. Here we go. He says this, I pray, the Father of um, the glorious Father, that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray, he's remixing that prayer again. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? Did you feel it? That's where he, that last one was it. Now we're in this crescendo. And so what did he pray? Let's look at three key words there, all right? One is hope, one is inheritance, and one is power. I don't know if you caught that. Remember, we're talking about power and riches. Remember those two key words that pop up a lot. The first one was hope. Oh, I pray that you may understand the hope of his calling. Now, let's be careful and cautious. What he is not saying, oh, I pray that you may understand the calling of God for your life. That's not it. All right? That's not it. That's, that's something for a different scenario. The hope of his calling, that is a combo thing. It's a salvation phrase. That speaks of the calling of Jesus. Guys, I don't know if you've ever read when Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. That sounds familiar to some of you. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. That gets read in the last 50 so years, maybe even the previously to that. But the popular way that it's read today, oh, God, my sheep know my voice, meaning if I'm a Christian, then I should be able to 
tune in and be able to hear the voice of God at any moment. That's not what Jesus said, and that's not what he meant. He says, my sheep know my voice. What is he saying? Because what does the shepherd do? He calls his sheep to come to him. It is Jesus calling to the world. He is calling your name. Believe in my name. And so when Jesus says that, my sheep know my voice. Why? Because they can hear. They've responded. Now, that can get really theologically. We're not going there. But that was the speaking of a salvation call as he's calling the world to believe in him. And so when he says, I pray that you may know the hope of your calling, meaning the hope that should be produced when you, have, when you are saved, like when you are saved, you now have hope. And what is hope? Where, where are you looking if you have hope? Do you look to the past for hope? Do you look to the present for hope? Not really. Where are you looking for hope? It's in the future. I mean, you're going to be, I hope. That's future. So here he's saying, oh, that you may understand the hope of your calling, meaning that you have believed in Jesus, that you may understand what that is going to mean one day. That you may have this hope that makes you happy and joyful that we were talking about last week of knowing what Jesus will ultimately do when you stand before him. You're, so notice that they don't get it. Like, they're, you know, we're saved, we're Christians, you know, great, you know, whatever. But they, there's, no, there's no joy of this future hope. They have no hope because they don't understand it. it again, they're, they're, they're limited, they're ignorant on that. So when he says, oh, I pray that you may understand the hope, of your, the hope of your calling, it's that. And then the second petition deals with inheritance. He says that you may understand what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And when the word inheritance gets read, though sometimes we think, well, I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there is an inheritance that I am due. And part of that heavenly inheritance means that I have the power of God to be able to do and do and do and do and do. And, and we think of inheritance as, as, as that thing right there. And, or we think this one. Inheritance means, well, I'm a son and daughter of the king of kings now. So that means I should be healthy, wealthy, and happy at all times. Guys, that is, a, that is an ugly gospel that corrupts this. It is not that. It is not that. When he says, oh, that you may understand the glorious inheritance in the saints. Whoa. You check, catch that preposition there. Where is this inheritance, guys? It's in you. It's in the saints. If you read prior to this in verse 14, he says the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Guys, please take the moment and zoom in and out of verses and let the author define the words with his other words. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. What is an inheritance? Something you're going to get one day, right? If, it's, if you have your inheritance, it's no longer an inheritance. Now it's yours right? But an inheritance is something that is yet to be fully given. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Christ, the God gives you the Spirit as a down payment of your inheritance. And what is the inheritance? Oh, well, you, the hope of your calling. When Jesus returns and you walk into the fullness, so you, don't, you will stand face to face with God one day. But until then, you have the Holy Spirit, God himself residing in you, God in a different bod right here. Think of that. And so he, he's like, oh, that you may understand what is the inheritance. So Christian, please listen. What is your inheritance? It's not a what. It's a who. 
he is your inheritance. The Old Testament talks about that. Abraham, God, you are my reward. You are my reward. If you are trying to live this life, and if you think you're a believer and you're a Christian, you want to live in this world because you're trying to hopefully live in such a way that God's going to give you some good real estate when you get to heaven. You know, you want that good zip code. You, are, you want to live on that spot. You, you want to live inside of the, you know, the gated community where, you know, all of the heroes of the faith live. If that's, your, if that's your focus and you can't wait for the day for Jesus to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. I know I was, wasn't I? Oh my gosh. If, that is your, if your inheritance is that, you have nothing. I feel bad. For, I feel sad for you if that's your focus. Because when you read the book of Revelations, when the, every believer in Jesus Christ, we see the, the glory and the love God pours on them. And they all are given jewels with a different name on them. And it's unique just to you. And we all, every believer is given a crown. Everyone who carries a cross on earth is given a crown in heaven. And what does every Christian, John says, every true Christian, what are they going to do with that crown? They're going to take it right back off and give it to the one who really deserves it. Jesus will crown us for what? We will say, no, you deserve all of the glory. And we crown him with our many crowns because we know the only thing I contributed to this whole situation is the sin uh, that I needed forgiving. That's my contribution. You did it all. So guys, Christian, I want you to know Jesus is your inheritance. You have the Holy Spirit inside, which is a down payment. And it's hard to believe it's going to get better because the Holy Spirit is great. Amazing. We've talked about it. We've talked about the Spirit the last couple weeks even more. Oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. He is your inheritance. And if he is not enough, nothing will ever be. He is your inheritance. Are you excited just to see him? Oh, well done, good and faithful. No, Lord, you are good and faithful. Thank you. I praise your name. That is our inheritance. Oh, by the way, though, it gets even better. Because the glorious inheritance in the saints, the way Paul wrote this inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's a dual phrase. Two, side, two sides of the same coin, guys. Not only is he your inheritance that's in you because the Holy Spirit is in you, you are his inheritance. You are his. Jesus cannot wait for the day for all of his sons and daughters, for him to welcome all of us home says, you made it. I'm here. It's over. I'm going to wipe all those tears from your eyes. We are his inheritance. But if you think you feel worthy of that, then stop it. Because that should humble you to hear that. How could God, how does he view us as his inheritance? I mean, I get it. We see him. How does he view us as his inheritance? Because he is God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord that he can't wait for the day to welcome you home for those who are in him. Look at that. They didn't get it. They didn't understand this. They were wanting and hoping for other things, but that is the glorious inheritance. And there's a phrase that echoes this, guys. If you've ever read, it's been in songs. I am yours and you are mine. That means nothing of possession, like I own you, you own me. 
No, it's the fact that even God could make himself so available to humans to say, I am your God. I am your father. It's about relationship. I am yours. I am your son. I am your daughter. And you are my father. You are my friend. You are my personal savior. You see that? that that's only the second petition. Look at the third one. Now he ramps up. Where do you go from that? You could just chill there, bro, and that's good enough. But the third petition, he says, and, oh, I got it. This is even better. And look at the pronouns that he uses to describe. He actually uses three Greek pronouns to describe the word power. The immeasurable, limitless greatness of what? Of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. That one right there. Now, this is not a power that now I have and we can just, you know, you know, wield and, and just kind of, you know, force push. And this is not like, this isn't Star Wars, okay? You know, you know, the force is, is speaking within me and, and I just know, and these are not the droids you're looking for. There you go. So the classic ones. It's a, you know, that's not it. That's not it. It, it is this power that God works in you, and it is to you, through you. And what is this power doing? It is the power that, that has forgiven us and transforming us and working in us and redeeming us and all of these things. This is a mighty, great, immeasurable, oh, that you may even begin to taste and understand the power of God in you. And this is not something, again, so that we can act like a bunch of Jedis, okay, it's, it is to, again, put the focus on what is he doing? What has he done? That is always the focus. You know, that has always been the focus. And, and, and what, how does he describe this power? It's like he's already, he, first off, that record-setting word, there's not enough words to describe it, huh? There's not enough. How can you describe something limitless? How can you describe something so immeasurable you can't measure it? How? That's God. And that's the point. Here we are. I mean, how many people, you look up into the sky, and how many of you have ever been just amazed about space? Have you ever been like, oh, trippy? I'm like, how does it just go and go and keep expanding yet has no end? How do we even know that? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Oh, you, you, you just wait a little bit. But see, that's what it is. And this church, see, why is he saying this? Because this church, he's just almost just... Oh, he just, you could tell, man. Look at me. He was feeling the way I'm right there. How I, I'm running out of words. I don't know what else to say. And, and it's just because it's just too good. It is indescribable. So how can you describe something indescribable? That's why, he's, that's why the Ephesians is written this way. And so it's only the Holy Spirit. It is only God who can reveal God. We can't figure this out. We need him to hear. And so, for example, um, blue whales have a really interesting way of communicating. A blue whale, their communication patterns are so powerful that their voice or what they do can travel thousands of miles. So a blue whale in New York, in a harbor in New York, can send a signal and communicate with a blue whale in a harbor in the UK. Shout out to Sandra. All right. That, and here's the thing, human beings, we can't hear at that frequency. We need a machine to be able to help us to hear what we naturally can't do. Now, what, what I'm saying here is for us to be able to get it, 
Paul knows that this is not some kind of a ritual or some kind of a thing to kind of, like I said, tune in to some frequency of God, that God is constantly speaking. Right now, guys, there's frequency, radio frequencies happening. There's human beings speaking all around us right now. That's kind of weird. All around us. But when you have a radio turned to a tune, that voice comes right through immediately. Now, that voice is going to be talking whether you hear it or not. God is not, echo, God is not speaking on a level of frequency, screaming at you right now, waiting for you to tune in. No, he has spoken and his, spoke, his power, his word is, is so strong that it is still echoing and vibrating. That's why I say that his spoken word still speaks. It's not dead. It's alive. He can say it once and things just keep going because that's what his words are. And so here, what he's, what, when I say the blue whale thing, guys, it is only God who can help us to understand and see and begin to see God himself. That's what it's always been. He always reveals himself to redeem us for a relationship purpose. Now, we're all, remember the on-ramp, right? So you kind of felt it as he was going up the prayer. And then while he's up the prayer, he goes on this spiritual roller coaster of, in chapter one and the rest of two, he goes into God's power in Christ and from death to life and unity in Christ. Paul's, and then Paul's, he talks about Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, what God has been doing in him, through him, to the Ephesians. And so he's running around all these things, again, further trying to help them to see what is Jesus, what he's done for us, because that's where our perspective should be. That's where our perspective should be, our focus should be. And then right as he, as he crescendoed into all of this, he repeats that prayer in a different way, in reverse. And now there's a decrescendo in the prayers. Three petitions. The first petition has the most words. The second petition has the second least. And then the last petition, the shortest. Look, what an artist. God is an artist, by the way. Do you not hear that? And he goes and crescendos up and then decrescendos down. Because chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesus is all about what to believe. If, I want you to read it, guys, this week. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians is, Christian, this is what you should believe. You should be filled with this so that it overflows in the way I'm going to describe in chapter 4, 5, and 6. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is what we should fill ourselves with. And chapter 4, 5, and 6 is what overflow should be. And guys, and that's the beautiful part. See, 4, 5, and 6 is the big go-tos for a lot of us. It's the, it's the armor of God, and it's this, and it's that, and it's about loving others. And, oh, we love to live in 4, 5, and 6. We want to be in 4, 5, and 6. How many of you have ever lingered in 1, 2, and 3? If you've never lingered in 1, 2, and 3, you ain't going to live 4, 5, and 6. You don't get it. Uh, do you get it? I'm going to say that a lot, so get, get, I'm going to annoy you. Do you get it? Oh, I want, that, I want to, I want to put, wield the armor of God. You don't put it on yourself. It's, it's actually the armor of God is another way of describing the fruit. This is an armor that is, it comes from the inside out. You don't put it on. This is an armor that you build. It's kind of like, like, have you guys ever seen animals? That, that they're skipping, you right? You saw an alligator yesterday. My gosh. Oh my gosh. I saw that alligator in river, whatever. Yikes. I'm not, I'm not hanging out with you guys in the river ever. And so, and so y'all go, y'all go to two dangerous places. Guys, don't alligators and things like that have natural armor? Did they go buy it at Walmart or go to Bucky's, which, you know, Florida's going to get the world, biggest Bucky's in the world really soon, right? Did they go to those places? No, it's a natural one that's inbuilt in them. Have you ever considered the armor of God as something that should, it's not put on you and you don't put it on 
Uh Hold on, pastor. Didn't Paul say put on the armor of God? Yeah. You put it on when you put this in. You see it? It, You put on the armor when you put the, the truth of that revelation in you, in your heart. That is what he means. Put it on. Put it in your heart. And it will show. And so let's look at this because he ends this prayer about what you need to get with this. Now, notice the similarities, but watch how different it is. Let's go. Run it. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Well, we're not going to go all the way to 21. We're going to save 20 and 21 later. For this reason. Now Paul is catching his breath again. (gasps) Again, you get it? This is why. For this reason. Of all of the things that he's saying God has done and is doing and who we are in him and all this wonderful stuff. It's this. This is why that I kneel before the Father from, for, uh, from every family in heaven on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. There it is again. To be strengthened with power. There it is again. In your inner being. Where? The soul deep within you. Oh, that he may do this with your inner being through the Holy Spirit himself, the revelation. And by the way, the spirit of the word. This is the spirit too. This is the spoken word of God, the spirit. Oh, that you may be strengthened with power according to the riches of his glory in your inner being. And that Christ may now dwell. He may dwell, linger, not visit. Dwelling is to set up camp. It is, to, it is to put, you know, your residency in. That you may dwell in your, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just stop there. Do you hear what he's trying to say? Christian, if you're a believer, Christian, listen, what should you dwell on? Let me stop. Christian, what do you dwell on? Let's go there. All right, <laughs> let's go there. What do you dwell on? What's your default? What's something that, okay, let's use a 2023, 2020s language. What lives rent-free in your head? There you go. All right? Look at that. First off, thank you for your honesty. All right? Isabella said, what lives rent-free in your life? She said, embarrassing moments sometimes. It's like a loop, right? How many of you, what do you dwell on? Some of you, you dwell negative thoughts, poor thoughts of yourself, right? What you have, what you don't have. How many of you, you tend to dwell on negative things, right? In, in, in Ephesians, in the Philippian letter, he says, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is good, whatever is this, whatever is that, dwell on these things. Like live here. Now, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, shut your brain off. Learn from that. You can, I'm going to use you for example. I'm talking to you. So you would learn from that embarrassing moment. What can you learn from that? That's dwelling. That's healthy dwelling. You see that? What happened? Did, could I have controlled it? No. Okay, it was an accident. All right, well, hey, it's gone. It's in the past. Or man, you know what? I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? Lord, help me not to do that. Help me to be wise in the future. And now you're not dwelling in the past. You're not living in the present. See what I'm saying? Have you ever heard people say that? You can't, you can't, live, in the past, you can't live in the present if you're, if you're still held in hostage by your past. I've heard people say that. Don't dwell in the past unless you're going to dwell in what Christ has done in you back then. But again, you are supposed to dwell in the past, present, and future. Dwell in these things that Christ may dwell in your hearts. 
that this is your, that this is what you run to. So our normal default is, you know, our immature Christian is, God is good, but, and then you linger in the negative. Called discipline. Where by, by God and the truth, you're like, you know what? I hate this scenario. This stinks, and we're going to talk about it, right? But, you know, do you know there's such a thing as a Christian that Paul says, in Ephesians actually, is there such a thing called righteous anger? Where you can be angry about something and yet not sin? Being angry isn't a sin. It's the reason why. And does that anger lead to hate? And does that anger lead you to, uh, to say things and to think and to dwell on, oh, now you went too far. But you can have righteous anger and it takes you to God and you dwell on him. So here's now, let's come off the ramp. And here's the decrescendo prayer. Let's read verse 17. Is that what it is? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray, verse 17, being rooted and grounded, firmly established in love, may be able to, you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of, the, of God's love, number one. Number two, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Third one, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You feel all, now there's the off ramp. There we are. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God and to know Christ's love. That's, oh, no, that's surpassing knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What three key words I want to bring up? Comprehend, surpass, and filled. He says, oh, that you may comprehend. What does comprehend mean? Oh, pray that you get it. That you start getting it. Understand. Notice that you are firmly, firmly rooted, established in what? In your love for God? No, in the love of God for you. In that your security you know what? These Christians probably had no hope for the future because all they could see was their sin in the present. And he did not understand. And he's trying to get them to see, no, guys, no. That your salvation is so secure that even in you slip when your salvation is so secure that you don't fall through his grip. Like it is that secure that you may understand you're so rooted and firmly grounded. No demon can take you out. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All of these things that, we've, that he says in other places, that you may understand and comprehend with all of the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth. Did you hear that? What is he describing here about that love of God? The breadth and length and height and depth. What is he meaning and what is he not meaning? First off, again, he's describing the limitless power of God, that not even the power of sin has no, long, no longer claim on you. Do you hear that? And his love is what? There's no end. It is limitless. So how can you comprehend something limitless? I know, but that's the fun part of it. Try. Try that you understand that his, you cannot outsin his love. Do you, I didn't even say that again. You cannot outsin his love. His love is so limitless that he's able to wash away your countless sins. You see Jesus? His love is so limitless, it can wash away your countless sins. And so he says, I pray that you may understand this, but then notice on, on the next one, he says, that you may know the love of Christ, this love that he's, you're rooted and grounded in, it's, uh, it's endless, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses your knowledge. It doesn't bypass it. You hear me on that one? Sometimes they say that, oh, Christians, you got to turn your brain off, and this is not a rational, oh, no. 
By the way, I preach in a very rational way as well, but my power is not coming from my rationality. It is God, it is God who does it. In, it's not me. It is God does anything in you. But this is a, a knowledge that surpasses yours. It doesn't bypass it. No, it's in it, but you, it's a knowledge that you can't contain. It's just going to, you know, burst through. Like you cannot contain it. This is too much for you to truly know and comprehend so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, let's not, so we can all feel better about ourselves. <laughs> the Ephesian church, I don't know how the Ephesians would have responded to this. It was like, exactly, Paul. That's why we don't get it. I mean, how it's, it's too limitless and endless. It doesn't make sense. But do you hear it? Do you hear the problem? They, they want to put God in their, I need to make him in a way that I fully, controlly explain and understand. I need to put him in my context box. But he won't fit. He doesn't want to play nice. Do you see it? The Ephesians wanted to kind of, because why? Because these Ephesians came from an occultic, demonic realm in which you can understand the gods and know the gods and manipulate the gods so that you can leverage their power for your use. People still do that with God. But God doesn't play that game. He's not going to play that game. He is more difficult than trying to put a onesie on a newborn baby. All right, if you've ever tried to do that, you know. I was like, stop wiggling. You know, like, you know, like that, that's it. Jesus is worse than that. God is worse than that because he's not going to be contained. He shouldn't. He doesn't deserve to be. And so that's the part. If you were like, but I don't get it. I, I do everything to try to overcome sin and do this and do that. And it's like, there it is. That's your problem. You're trying to put your hands on him. You're putting your hands on him. It's another little, you know, you can't put hands on Jesus, all right? You got to let him put hands on you. You don't put your hands on him. You got to try to wrap your brain around him. How? I know. Especially that last statement, that you may be filled and know that you are. Christian, if you are a believer in Christ, you are filled with all the fullness of God. Can I ask you a question? Look at just that statement right there. How is it possible? How does this work? That as a human being, I am rational. I can make words in sentences somewhat, you know, I can tie my shoes. I can do very, I'm, I'm not, you know, we can do that. Very, very able. How can I, I cannot, you're telling me, Paul, I can't understand him. I can't understand him. I cannot fathom. He is the fullness of God. I cannot understand the fullness of God. Yet God resides fully in me. Can you just camp out there for a second? Can you think about that? Your brain cannot process the fullness of God, yet the fullness of God resides in each believer perfectly. How does that work? How is God fully in, in Isaac and fully in Jimmy and fully in me and, and fully in, in Ashley and Alicia and all of you? How is he fully in, in different places where you guys are watching, you're not even here? How is he so fully in each and every one of us? I don't got a part of him and you got a part of him. And how is he so full? But we cannot fully grasp him. See, that's part of the mystery of God. He is not one to be contained. He is not one. See, Paul would say in another letter, he says, he uses a word to describe Christians. Not very 2023 of him, not 21st century of him. He uses the word 
Christians are slaves. Now, this is whoever wants to be identified as a slave anymore. But Christians should be. And in fact, that there's one specifically slave to who? Slave to Christ. We talked about that, about being captivated, a captive of Christ. But Paul uses a phrase for Christians and says, we are this, I think it was dumas, I forget the word, but we are slaves to the mystery of God. And the word he used for slaves is the kind of slaves that are in the belly of a ship who row. I've used this one before a long time ago, under rowers. You ever seen those in movies, right? You got the dong, 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 Ben Hur stuff, you know, you, you see that. Christians, you and I are in this belly of this world. And Christ, the beat of Christ's drum is his word and is his love. It's his heartbeat. And we are to row according to his heartbeat. But see, the under rower can't see where he's going. The only rower maybe can see outside the window. He doesn't know where direction we're headed. What is the under rower supposed to do? Row to the beat. Trust the captain in his direction and his, his capability to take the boat where it needs to go. You hear that? Where does the under rower's faith lie? In the captain. And so as Christians, we are in this belly of this world. And we don't know how, how much farther it is until we get to destination. But we row to the beat of his love and the beat of his heart and the beat of his word. And we row in the mystery of God. We, we get you, we see you, but we don't see everything. Until the day we arrive and, he welcome, and we get out and there we are. We were welcomed home. And because we trusted in the captain and the king of kings to lead us there. You see that? And so, it, again, guys, it is, it's interesting, it's frustrating, but... That's part of it. But we got to be careful. Oh, my gosh. Because here's what happened. There's something unique about the Ephesians church. You guys hanging in there with me? Come on now. Because if you thought, I, I could camp there. But again, we're hanging out in Ephesus. And so let's learn their full lesson. The Ephesian church is the only church to get a letter from the apostle Paul and Jesus himself. That letter is found in the book of Revelation where Jesus shows up to the Apostle John and says, I got seven letters that need to be written to seven different churches. And guess which letter, guess which letter, the address, the first letter in line? Ephesus. Ephesus got two letters. You know what's beautiful about this? Ephesus had, by the way, just so you understand, you know, man, it's so frustrating. Ephesus had some probably the, a great pastors, Paul was their primary pastor for three years. He started the church. After that, he sends Timothy, his number one dude. To, to, and then Timothy was there for years. And then guess who was the following pastor? The apostle John himself. John was the apostle. So man, look at the lineage of decades, of years of healthy leadership. And you know what happened, guys? The Ephesian church finally got it. They got it. You know how I know they got it? Read Jesus' letter. And you see where they got it, but then you see where something they got wrong. You want to see it? Let's look. Can we go to Revelations chapter 2? Let's read now the Ephesian letter from Jesus. By the way, these letters are we, meant for us as well. So here's what Jesus writes, verse 2. Write to the angel, which is really the evangel, to the pastor, to the leader of that church. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's just Jesus. Notice where is he? He's walking. He's in their midst. He's not out and about. He's in there. What does he say? I know your what? He says, 
I know your works, Ephesian church. I see you. I see you. I see what you do. And he hypes them up. I see your works. I see your labor. I see your endurance. I see. And, um, and not that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name. And you have not grown weary. Stop there. Doesn't that sound like a great church? It is, by the way. The Ephesian church was a great church. They started to get it. They were like, oh my gosh, I think we're starting to get it now. And now they were operating in a, in a level of power and of strength and of richness. Here we see a church that understands the riches of the scriptures now. They're seeing it. And they're calling out people who are claiming to be apostles, claiming to have revelations from God. And they're calling them out, rightfully so, and dismantling, dissecting them like if they were on Iron Chef. I mean, just going out there, killing them. I mean, just laying dudes down. I mean, undefeated. This, this church was, does this not sound like a powerful church? It is. It was. This church was acting in power, in riches. And they were, look, I mean, the endurance they were enduring hardships. They were being persecuted and they endured until the end. They were doing great. Verse 4. Here's the, this is not the kind of but you want to hear. In Ephesians, he, he, Paul uses but all the time. And the book of Ephesians, he says, We were dead in the trespass of our own sins. And yada, 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 but by the riches and glory of God, he goes from the negative and says, But to the positive. Jesus goes from the positive, but negative. Oh, the decrescendo. Oh, man. I have one thing against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Some of you have read this. I've read it. Sometimes we think, oh, it's, it's that first love that you had when you were a believer in Jesus. Sometimes this church is called the loveless church. That's wrong. I hate that description. Because you're not here. This church had a love for God. They did. They had a love for his word. They had a love for his honor. They had a love for, for the church. They, 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 they were you know, persevering in the faith. So there was love. That's why Jesus says, you've abandoned your first. All of this is great. But there's one thing that's supposed to be of priority and you've taken it out of priority. You've abandoned your first love. What is first love? It's agape. And it's not just our love for Jesus. That's part of it. But it's our love for Jesus at a response for his love for us. Meaning, what are we supposed to dwell on? The Ephesian church was supposed to dwell on what? The love of God towards us. What he has done towards us. The Ephesian church was supposed to dwell on him, on what he has done, what he is doing, what he is still yet to do. This Ephesian church stopped loving all that God has done and did and will do. They started falling in love with what they were doing for him. Some of you are nervous because I'm like, hey, you probably just feel like, the lights just turned off. There's a, now there's an interrogation light right on you. <laughs> Where I can't run. And I was like, oh, you can run, but no, you can't hide, right? Now, listen, this church, Jesus says, oh, you have a love for my word. You have a love for this. You have a love. There's love, love, love. But you have replaced. You are not dwelling. You, you have gotten so good at operating in this power and strength that you have now you love what you do for me more than what I do for you. Do you hear that? Do you know, guys, that for some of you, some Christian language, Christian, do you know that your ministry can become an idol? 
you know that you can walk and God can use you in such mighty ways that now you have taken your eyes off of him. And now you think, right, your stuff don't stink. You hear me? That's the Ephesian. That's what happened to them. They got it and then, it, then, then they didn't. They took their eyes off. Jesus says, you have, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. You are no longer enamored with what I have done for you. No, you are no longer enamored with what I am doing, what you will do. All you care about is what you're going to do and what you're trying to do. You miss it. That's not what your focus should be. Listen to the warning. Jesus says, remember, verse 5, remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. Why? Because when you're a believer in Christ and when you get it, when you understand that you're saved, when you understand and you realize that God really does love you, there's a love that naturally flows out of you. But, it's, but you're not trying it. You're not forced. You are so captivated by Christ that it's just bubbling out of you. They are operating not out of overflow. They are operating out of just fumes. That's what they're doing. So he says, remember and turn, do the works that you did at first, not works external. What's the major work that you dwell on me, that, you, that, you, that your identity is in me and what I do, not in what you do for me, but what I've done for you. And then he says in verse 6, in verse, otherwise or else, guys, listen, when Christ says or else, or else I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which controlled people. I hate it too. God hates it when people try to control others. The Nicolaitans try to control people using spiritual language. Be careful with those who claim to speak on behalf of God and they want to control you. And you live by their words and not his. Let anyone who has ears to hear, and let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I give the, the I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let him have ears to hear. You know what he's saying? Do you get it? That's the same thing. Do you get it? I hope you get it. I hope you get it. And do you see the warning? Here's the thing, guys. When the Christian loses, when the Christian loses his love, his focus, first love. Your light is dimmed. When you lose your first love, your light is dimmed. Now, it doesn't mean your salvation. It means your effectiveness. You hear me what I'm saying? You're not operating out of, you're operating out of you now. So, you're, so that means, hey, you're, you're being active, you're persevering in the faith, but if you keep operating in this fleshy way, I am, I am compensating for you because of your pride, your religious pride. I'm compensating for you. But if you are not going to listen, I'm going to pull back. And now you're on your own. And now you're going to have to persevere without my strength. And you're going to have to endure. And you're going to have to try to figure things out without my wisdom. Because you're not trusting in me anymore. You think you got it. I got it, God. I got it from here. I could take it from here. You see? That's the wrong way to live. It's one way to get it. But it's not like, all right, God, I got it from here. No, wrong way. That you went too far. The Ephesian church went too far. Guys, you and I can go too far. I do it. And that's when I hope, I, I got to catch you. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, and you turn and repent. By the way, I just love that about Jesus. Here's Paul, a frustrated man, but he loves them. And here's Jesus, Saul, you still don't get it. You got it, and now you think you got it without me. But when Jesus says, repent, there's his limitless love. You think he can go without me. 
But I don't take it personal. I still love you. You need me. I want you. So, guys, if there's a bottom line, I want you to just look at this and linger on this. Look at God's, God's, God's love. Is so, it is powerful and limitless. It is powerful what he is doing in you, through you, to you, what he's going to do one day. And it is nothing to do on you. It is so powerful and it is limitless. You and I cannot even begin to comprehend, even think about it. I know. But you know what's so wonderful, guys, is that you and I and what Paul wanted the Ephesian church to get is that you got to be able to get that you're not going to get it. I know that's that's already Michael. I felt you on that statement. All right. And so I felt you there. All right. You got to be comfortable with the fact that you got to get that you can't get it. That you know that you could that you know that you you can actually know God truly without having to know him fully. You can know God truly without having to know him fully. Yesterday I was at the beach. Guys, here in Florida, right, I'm pretty sure you're going to have some people, a lot of people do that online. I'm sure you've seen the beach. Can any one of us stand on any shore and to be able to see the whole sea in one shot? Hmm? Can you see the entirety of the sea? No. But just because you can't, you can't see the entirety of the sea, does that stop you from swimming in it? See what I did? Just because you can't stop, just because you can't see the entirety of the sea, doesn't mean you can't go swimming in it. Can you and I ever fathom the love of God and who he is? No. But that doesn't stop us from knowing him and loving him and being loved by him and having a relationship with him. Do you see? Do you get it? I hope you get it. Do you get it? You can't get it? Like, that's what it is. And so, and here's, here's where we're going to end it with. How do we, okay, we're talking about prayer. Now, we highlighted. We hi, so I can't leave you with that application, guys. I can't. I just can't say, all right, guys, the application for today, you got to be able to get, you can't get it. Amen. God bless you on your way. Have a good 4th of July weekend. Don't burn yourself in the fireworks, all right? I can't do that to you. I'm going to give you one thing at least to just bite your teeth down in. And you missed it. I missed it. There at the very beginning. Um, Joel, can you put at the beginning, Paul said, it was verse, right at the beginning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Remember the first one that we started with today? Let's loop back. Here we are. We've just gotten off the roller coaster. Now we're back at where we launched off, right? Let's look at this. This is why, since I have heard about your faith and your love for all the saints. Stop. That's all I want you to see. Look at how Paul prayed. Because this is how we ought to pray when it comes to this. Paul, when he saw the Ephesian church, there was a holy frustration, holy anger, if you want to say, let's say, that they didn't get it. And they, oh, he wish he could. So what does Paul do when he prays? He says, I always thank God remembering you in my prayers. What is he praying for? Number one, he is thankful and he's always praying because he's, he's grateful about the good that he does see. This Ephesian church didn't get it. But you know what they did have? They did believe in Jesus, and there was a love. There was a love for God and one another. It was poor, and, and they had a faith. It was poor. But what is Paul doing? He is celebrating what he sees. What do we do? We want to complain about what we're not seeing. You see what I'm saying? Or we're complaining about the things that we do see that are rightfully so to complain. 
But Paul says, oh, I, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for me to, but I'm going to focus on the fact that there is saving faith in you and you love God and you know that God loves you. I'm going to celebrate those wins. So I'm, I, I pray based on the what I do see. And then what was the other prayers? What he hoped for them to see. Oh, that you would see, that you would grow. Guys, could you imagine if you did this in your prayers? I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to pray. I'm, 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 by the end of this year, oh my gosh, seriously, Jesus is going to have some receipts on you. If you're like, how did you not pray? You spent a whole year, not even, I'm like, listen. When he says this, what is, how can we model even the way Paul prays? By the way, Jesus prayed this way in John 17. He celebrated and thanked Jesus, prayed for the apostles in 17, for the faith that they had. And then he prayed that they may continue to know you. Paul is reflecting Jesus' prayer, which is in the Lord's prayer. That your kingdom may come, that your will be done. That I need that bread. Meaning, Lord, I, I give you know, uh, our holy God, right? Our heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. I'm going to praise you by, based on what I know. But Lord, I want more. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. There's more to it. We tell, I speak with Emily all the time, guys. Sunday mornings, what do we do? We gather together. We sing songs about the God that we know. And then we get in his word to know him even more so that we can worship him even better now. And so, guys, could you imagine if you prayed in that way? I don't know what to pray for. Thank God for the good that you do see. And then pray for what you hope to see. And what I pray that you hope to see is that, God, I thank you that you do love me. And I have evidence. You look at the cross and the empty grave. That's evidence enough. And, God, I hope to get to know you even more. This is what I hope to see. That is a powerful prayer, which is the one that we were talking about today, a powerful prayer. And so when you pray in this way, and when you linger in this, and even, even Paul, he was so infatuated and enamored, and if Paul could say it, he, guys, he ran out of words. I mean, he, I guarantee you, he was frustrated because there is no human words that can truly paint a picture. Guys, you know that I walk out of here every time, in about five minutes, I'm going to walk off this stage. I'm going to walk off this platform. We're going to log off. I'm going to take this microphone off, and I'm going to be both happy and frustrated. Because my frustration is going to be in that I failed. I fail every single week. Spurgeon said something similar. I fail every time I talk about God. Because there's not enough words to describe an indescribable God. I can preach my guts out until I die and still not even get close to scratching the surface because it is not on me to show you. It's not on me for you to get it. It's on him. It's he who does. And so, guys, it is, he's running out of words, and so he just he can't help himself but to go one more time. And after praying and lingering for these three chapters about all God has done, how does he end? Can we put Ephesians 3, 20 and 21? He ends his prayer with praise, and he says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Paul himself says, look, I don't even get it. And that's why I just have to give him praise. Because I know he got us. He, has, he knows what he's doing. Immeasurable, beyond what you and I can ever ask or think. To him be the glory. And so guys... I pray that isn't enough statement to praise his name. When you pray 
prayer, praise should be in your prayer. You're not praying right if you ain't praising. You're not praising if you're not praying, all right? Because Paul says, I, I see what I see, and I see the good, and I, and I hope to see the other, and I praise your name because, God, I trust you. He's the under rower in the belly. I trust in the captain of what he's going to get done. I am in your hands. And guys, we can always never truly get it. So for you, if you're never a believer in Christ, I pray that this may run deep in you. You're not going to get it until it's too late. But it's going to be worse for you later on. You're not going to get it until it's too late. And I hope you get it sooner before it's too late. If, you're, if your trust is in yourself, your trust is in you, this world and this and that, it's going to be worse for you. And that is going to be eternal. Eternal separation from God. Hell does exist for a reason. And God sends those there who first reject him. Do, do not trust in yourself. You are not rich, powerful. Or my, my, you can't do it. It's, I know you can't truly get it, but it is going to get worse for you. But Christian, know that it, you're not even, even going to get this statement, but it's going to be better for you. And you don't get truly fully, but you know him truly. You, don't, you can't understand it fully, and that is enough for you to praise God. To know that, Lord, I can't understand you fully, but I know you truly to be the Son of God. That you are the real, true Savior. You are King of kings. You have conquered sin and death. You have forgiven me of your sins. How do I know that? Because the Spirit testifies in me and gives me that desire and, and helps me to understand that I am your child and you are my Father. And I don't get all of it. I don't understand why. How could you treat and love me such Oh, forget it. Just praise you to the one who can do above and be all, all that I can ask or think. I give up. You're awesome. There it is. Amen. That's where we linger on and we dwell there. Because when you can dwell on all God has done and is doing and is yet to do and you can't even understand it fully, oh, he does such a beautiful work in you. Four, five, and six just spill out. When you linger in that. And I pray I pray that you may get the fact that, yeah, you can't get it. You can't get it truly fully. But that's why he should get all the praise. And we should give it to him.